Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of baptism, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous program, I was explaining the history of baptism, and today's program is going to be a follow-up to that. I'm going to continue with the history of baptism. And, of course, the first thing that you must understand when it comes to the subject of baptism is that baptism did not start with John the Baptist. It started with the Pharisees, and I've been explaining the history that builds up to this point where it started with the Pharisees. In the previous program, I was explaining that the history began with the Maccabean Wars, when the Hasmonean dynasty was started and the Jews sent out ambassadors to other countries to assert their claim that they were a sovereign, independent people, When they did this, they testified of what the living God had done to divinely intervene in their lives and set them free from the oppression of the Assyrians under Antiochus IV. I was explaining this in the previous program, that the Jews obtained their freedom through war. They conquered their enemies. They established an independent sovereign country. They sent out ambassadors. This was the first time that they had sent out official ambassadors to other countries for this purpose, to assert themselves as being a sovereign, free people. When other countries would receive the ambassadors, it was then by default they would recognize Israel as a sovereign, independent country. When the ambassadors were there in these other cities, in these countries that they went out to, they testified of what God did for them. Other people would hear the testimony of the ambassadors, and they then wanted to believe in the God of Israel. Other people began to respond to the testimony of the ambassadors about what God did for the people of Israel. And so the people who were hearing about this, also wanted to believe in this God. They wanted to embrace this God. They wanted this God to accept them. They wanted to be a part of the nation of Israel. And so in the previous program, I was explaining this, and I was explaining that this was the history, this was the foundation or the beginnings of Pharisaical evangelism. This was when the Pharisees began to evangelize non-Jews, non-Israelites, to make them a part of Israel. It was just simply the result of sending out ambassadors in order to assert their sovereign identity. By default, because of that, because other people were interested in what they believed, it was because of this circumstance that the Pharisees embraced the opportunity They embraced the opportunity and sent out religious ambassadors, sent out rabbis to these embassies, to these places, 
in order to establish synagogues so that other people could come to the synagogue, embrace the God of Israel, be converted to Judaism, and then become a part of the nation of Israel. Now, I have done a program where I explain some of the details of how the Pharisees would establish synagogues. The program I did is titled, Where Two or More Are Gathered. And in this program, I explain the implications of what Jesus said, Where two or more are gathered, there I am in your midst. I explain the history of that, that the Jews made the assumption that there had to be ten gathered together, not two. It was a very important paradigm shift in the thinking of the disciples at that time in history. But it was at this time in history when the Maccabeans won the war, when the Hasmonean dynasty was established and ambassadors were sent into other countries. It was in the time frame of about 164 to 142 B.C., approximately, around that time period, that this was starting to take place. Synagogues were being established by the Pharisees, sending out ten or more men, ten or more men and perhaps their families, into other countries, into other cities, to establish synagogues, and then they would gradually absorb the Gentiles into the synagogue, into the culture, into their way of life, where they would be discipled and trained in the way of Pharisaical Judaism so that they could live a life of repentance and obedience to the Mosaic Law. That was what was taking place, and this was the history of all of this. Now, for a Gentile to convert to Judaism, there needed to be a defined procedure in order to convert the Gentiles. Discussions started to take place about this. It was at this time that the Pharisees began their discussions, began their debates about how are we going to convert these Gentiles who want to become a part of the nation of Israel? How are we going to do this? How are we going to respond to these circumstances? And this was a very important thing for them to deal with because through this they would also assert their sovereign identity by many of the Gentiles embracing Pharisaical Judaism, the Jews could further establish their sovereign identity because they would not only have their ambassadors in these countries, but they would also have their rabbis. They would also have their synagogues. The other people, the Gentiles who were part of these communities, would begin to embrace the God of Israel, and there would be a polarization, a greater polarization between Israel and these other countries. A healthy one, it wouldn't be a polarization in the sense that this would create conflict. It would be a healthy polarization in order to establish the reality that there are differences. And by establishing these differences and by asserting these differences, it would further support their differences. And by further supporting their differences, it would establish greater security to ensure that there would not be a harmonization, there would not be a homogenization, there would not be a combination. The countries would not assimilate with each other to the extent that the Jews would then find themselves paying taxes to other countries. That would not take place as easily because of this polarization that would take place. So this was very important, not just from a political point of view, but also from a religious point of view, to follow through with this and convert other people to Judaism. 
This was what they were discussing at this time. This is what they were arguing about at this time. And there had to be a prescribed, approved procedure in order to perform these conversions. Now, the procedure that was defined was very simple. When they finally defined the proper procedure of conversion, it was very simple. If you were a male, you had to be circumcised. That was given. If you wanted to convert, you had to commit your life to obedience to the Mosaic law. So it was circumcision if applicable, and then it was also a commitment to living in obedience to the Mosaic law. And this, of course, would be under the supervision or under the approval of the rabbis, of the Pharisaical rabbis. They would tell you exactly how you would have to live in order to ensure that you would be living in obedience to the Mosaic law. And then there was a third thing that was established, and this was based on the ritual washings that are found in the law. You see, if you were to read through the law, which I encourage you to do, definitely read through the law, you will discover that there are many opportunities to become ritually unclean. And when you become ritually unclean, there are many circumstances where you are expected to perform a ritual washing. And it doesn't have to be complicated. Just simply wash your clothes or submerge yourself in water. There were many opinions concerning how this submersion should have taken place, how the washing should have taken place, and eventually there was a codification that took place. There was a prescribed methodology to accomplish this. But the fact is, is that there were many opportunities to become ritually unclean. In fact, it was virtually impossible to avoid becoming ritually unclean. When you did, you would perform a type of baptism. You would engage in a bath. That's what you would do. You would wash your clothes. You would wash yourself. This was something that everybody participated in. Now, in the nation of Israel, this was not something that people supervised. It was not a big deal. It wasn't something that people took that seriously. They didn't take it so seriously that they had to have somebody supervise and make sure that it was done correctly, that it was done at the appropriate time, that you did it when you were supposed to. That's not how it was handled. However, because it was recognized that the Gentiles were ritually unclean, it was decided it was decided that they would have to go through a ritual immersion, that they would have to go through that in order to have a fresh start, in order to ensure that they were cleansed of all of their previous ritual uncleanliness, and so that they could start anew. Now, in order to ensure that this was done properly, there were people who were available to make sure that you did this correctly, that you would know how you could accomplish this, and so that you could do this correctly. But not just that, there were also people who were established for the purpose of being witnesses. This is when baptism became a ritualistic procedure that people would observe, that people would be a part of in a public way. You see, before this time, baptisms took place. It was a very common thing. It was not unusual at all. But nobody supervised this. Nobody bothered observing this. It was not a public event. It wasn't a ritual of any kind that people would have to observe or that people would consider worth observing. It was only when the Pharisees began to convert Gentiles to Judaism that this became an issue. 
first, in order to ensure that you did it properly, and second, in order to have a witness to ensure that you actually did it. So there were witnesses that were established. There were people who could testify that you truly did go through this conversion in the event that any question arose concerning the legitimacy of you now being an Israelite by conversion. So again, there were three things that a person had to do in order to properly convert to Judaism. The first thing was to be circumcised, if applicable, according to the covenant with Abraham. The second was that they would have to commit themselves to a life of repentance and obedience to the Mosaic law. And the third thing was that they would have to be baptized, ritually immersed in order to have a fresh start to cleanse themselves from any previous uncleanliness that they definitely would have had. And there would also then be a witness to testify that this person was both circumcised and they committed themselves to the law of Moses. There would be a witness that would testify of that at the baptismal and would be available to testify in the future in the event that there was any question that arose concerning the legitimacy of this person as an Israelite. So baptism was established for the first time as a form of ritual, as a ritual immersion that would take place as a means of converting a Gentile to Judaism. And this happened because of the evangelistic efforts of the Pharisees, and this happened because of the response to the testimony of the ambassadors who were sent out as representatives of the nation of Israel when the nation of Israel won their independence by war from the Assyrians who were headed up by Antiochus IV. And this was celebrated and has been continually celebrated in the Feast of Dedication or the Feast of Hanukkah. So that is the official history of baptism, the official history of baptism. Now, when baptism was established and when it was used, when it was observed, there were continual discussions, continual discussions about its importance in the conversion process. And when these discussions took place, there was debate. There was a lot of debate concerning this, and different rabbis looked at it differently. But eventually, it was officially codified, and it was officially documented in the writings of the Pharisees as the official means by which a Gentile was to be converted to Judaism. And so, if you were to go into the writings of the Pharisees, as is recorded in the Talmud, in the collection of the Mishnah and the Gomorrah, the program I did titled, Do Not Do According to Their Takanot, gives a complete history of Pharisaical Judaism and the different writings and the transitions that the Pharisees went through in order to codify their faith. I explained that history in the program I did titled, Do Not Do According to Their Takanot. In that program, I explained this, but what I want you to understand is that this is something that they documented. This is something that you can find. If you were to go, if you go into the writings of the Pharisees, the historical writings, and examine the passages where they speak about converting to Judaism, where they speak about Gentiles converting to become a part of the nation of Israel, you will find the subject of baptism or immersion Everywhere. You will find it all over the place. There is no question 
that ritual immersion started with the Pharisees as a means of converting a Gentile to Judaism. And let me give you a couple of examples. I have two examples, my favorite examples. The first one is found in Tractate Abodazara, Folio 59A. Again, this is Tractate Abodazara, Folio 59A. If you were to look in the Talmud, this is a reference where it says, A Gentile is never to be regarded as a proselyte until he is both circumcised and immersed. And since he has not undergone immersion... He is a Gentile. Again, a Gentile is never to be regarded as a proselyte until he is both circumcised and immersed. And since he has not undergone immersion, he is a Gentile. This was a discussion concerning whether or not a person was officially converted. And in this context, they said that if a person was circumcised, that was the first step. If a person committed themselves to the law of Moses, that is implicitly given here, but is actually explained in the discussion, that if a person has committed themselves to living in obedience to the law of Moses, they have fulfilled the second step. But if they fail to go through ritual immersion that we describe as baptism, if they fail to do that, then they are not a Jew, they are not an Israelite, they are still a Gentile. In Yebamot, folio 78a, again, this is the text Yebamot 78a, it says, If a pregnant Gentile woman was converted, there is no need for her son to perform ritual immersion. This has to do with the context of conversion, whether or not her son would be recognized as a Jew. Again, Yebamot 78a, if a pregnant Gentile woman was converted, there is no need for her son to perform ritual immersion. This is a very important thing to recognize, that again, ritual immersion was used in order to establish a Gentile as a Jew. It was in order to provide a Gentile with an opportunity and the means by which they can convert to Judaism. Now, the reason why I picked this second reference was not just to pick a second reference. The reason why I picked it is because I want you to see that the son was not required to perform ritual immersion if his mother had already converted. This is what I want you to see, and that is that a Jew does not have to be baptized. A Jew does not have to perform the ritual immersion. Now, certainly a Jew would have to perform the immersions that are related to violating the law, the rituals that are related to becoming ritually unclean, to be more specific. The Jew would certainly have to do that. But this specific ritual immersion of conversion, the son would not have to perform. A Jew would not have to perform. Now, pay attention. This is the most important thing to recognize. And that is that if you are a Jew, you do not have to convert to Judaism. If you are already recognized as a member of the nation of Israel, you do not have to perform ritual immersion. You do not have to be baptized. There is no reason for it. There is no purpose for it. Now, there were some discussions about the value of it and what it could imply if a Jew decided to do that. However, there was no necessity. 
absolutely no necessity. And I will come back to how that would be viewed in the next program, perhaps, or the program after that. I will explain that very soon. But please, you must recognize right here, you must understand that there was no mandate, there was no requirement for a Jew to perform the ritual immersion of baptism. This is very critical to see, because when John was baptizing he was not baptizing Gentiles, he was baptizing Jews. That was the issue. So from a historical point of view, a hundred years or so before John the Baptist, ritual immersion, baptism, was established and well known by the people as a means of converting a Gentile to Judaism. So for over a hundred years in Israel, Baptism was well known. Baptism was understood. Baptism was nothing new to the people of Israel. They had a hundred years to practice this, a hundred years to perform this, a hundred years to know about this. Then, it was then, after that, that John the Baptist showed up on the Jordan River and he started baptizing. Baptism was nothing new. But what was new, what was so different, what was so incredible, was that he was not baptizing Gentiles, he was baptizing Jews. That was the issue. The issue was that he was baptizing Jews. The fact that he was baptizing Jews was enough to cause the Pharisees to leave Jerusalem and go hunt him down, to ask him, Who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? Why are you baptizing? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? you got to be somebody. I mean, who do you think you are to be baptizing Jews? Now, if he was baptizing Gentiles, there would be no cause for alarm. There would be no question about what he was doing. There would be no concern with regards to what he was doing or why. But the fact was, was that he was baptizing Jews and converting them to what? Converting them to Judaism is what he was doing. But the people needed to ask what he was doing and what he was converting them to. They needed to investigate because this was a very serious matter. This was a very serious concern. John was taking a ritual that had been performed for over a hundred years by the Jews, or approximately a hundred years. He was taking this ritual and he was using it for a different purpose. Why was he using it for a different purpose? Because God told him to use it for a different purpose. The living God spoke to John the Baptist and he said, I want you to baptize people. And he told John exactly, precisely why he wanted John to baptize people. And it was not to convert Gentiles to Judaism like the Pharisees were. It was for a different reason. The baptism of John was a very important baptism. And the Lord our God told him exactly, precisely, why he was to perform this baptism. And we can look into the scriptures to see exactly why John was sent to baptize. John testified that the reasons why he was sent to baptize was first and foremost to be able to identify the Messiah. 
but he was also told to baptize as a means of repentance or as a means of calling people to repentance. His baptism was a baptism of repentance, encouraging the Jews to repent. What did they need to repent from? Repent from their sins. What would this mean to the Jews? This would mean the same thing that it means to Christians today when Christians perform a rededication or they recommit their lives to the Lord Jesus. It's the exact same concept. It was used back then in this way, that John was calling them to rededicate or recommit their lives to what? To obedience, to repentance, to repent from their sins and to obey the commandments of God to turn back to the Old Covenant, to live a life according to the Mosaic Law. He was calling people back to that. Now, what would be the value of this? Well, the value of this, the most important thing to recognize concerning the value of pursuing a life of repentance and obedience is that eventually you will hopefully discover that you fail that you cannot repent from all of your sins, that you cannot obey your God. This was the purpose that God gave the law for. He gave the law to show us that we could not accomplish it, that through the knowledge of good and evil, by knowing what we should be doing and by knowing what we shouldn't be doing, that that was not going to be adequate, that being devoted to living a life Pursuing this was not going to be adequate, that there was nothing that we could do to accomplish what God required. And this was a critical question to resolve, whether or not we could actually live a life as he intended us to live on the basis of the knowledge of good and evil. This had to be answered. This had to be resolved because this was the very issue that caused the fall of humanity in the Garden of Eden. This was the original satanic lie that caused the fall of humanity. And that was that if you only know what is good and evil, then you can be like God. You can effectively be in the image of God. You can be a reflection of your God. You can be who God created you to be without his divine presence and dwelling within you. You don't need that. You just need to repent and obey. You just need to know what is good and evil and live According to that, and if you do that, then you will be like God. That was the first sermon of the devil, the lie of the devil. This was the issue that God resolved through the giving of the law and through encouraging people to live in obedience to it. And I will continue with this in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net